This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. Welcome to the wildlife. My name is Rob Armstrong. You must forgive me tonight. I'm a little bit snuffly. Like half of this state, I have a case of the flu or a cold. It's good to have something beside COVID for a change. So if I'm a little bit hard to understand, please forgive me. Start off by revisiting Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue. A bit of an update. This past weekend was a three-day long weekend, much favoured by Australians. It's a chance to escape the cities and towns, head out to the country, enjoy rural Australia. Perhaps as winter hits, head up into the high country and experience the snowfields. It means there are a lot of people travelling on roads. Though a three-day holiday weekend, it was certainly no holiday for Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue. I'd like to tell you about two events over the long weekend. It involves two eastern grey kangaroo joeys, the baby kangaroos. Late Saturday night, as everyone snuggled down asleep, the fires blazing, hold off the icy chill, a phone call comes in. A member of the public has hit a kangaroo on the road. The kangaroo is severely injured and they fear there is a joey in the pouch. Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue, a volunteer heads out and the members of the public handed over a warm snuggled down in a blanket, beautiful young velvet joey, Eastern Grey Kangaroo. Within an hour, that kangaroo was in the care of a registered wildlife carer, was warm, dry, and had taken its first feed. It was in the right place with a registered wildlife carer. Now, that's Joey number one. There was an accident. The people showed empathy, concern, kindness. They immediately jumped on their phones and sought help. And within an hour, that kangaroo, baby kangaroo, was in proper care. So we thank those people for their kindness, their empathy, and doing the right thing. The following day, only about five kilometers away from Joey number one was Joey number two. Overnight, a local resident had heard some shooting, observed two cars driving off after the occupants had been blazing away with shotguns in a paddock. The next day, he went to have a look to see what they were shooting at. He discovered some dead kangaroos. One of those kangaroos was a female with a lightly furred joey, well-developed in her pouch. Now, this poor joey had spent the night in freezing conditions, huddled inside its dead mother's pouch, without warmth, without comfort, without nutrient. And again, volunteer from Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue attended the scene. The joey was taken into care and again taken to the wildlife carer. Warmth, hydration and a warm bottle of milk later. The kangaroo was up looking around and both joeys were then forwarded out to a wildlife shelter with the experience in handling these young joeys. Now I'd like to thank that local resident who took the time to go and check to see what the result of the shooting was. 
the rescue were reported other dead kangaroos in the area. Uh, there were no atfoot joeys seen, uh, so that was a cause of concern. The resident also reported it to the local police, and when the rescuer attended on Sunday, the police were already on site and investigating the illegal shooting of kangaroos. So a big shout out to the Avoca police for turning up on a holiday weekend on a Sunday to investigate this illegal shooting of kangaroos. Two joeys, two different stories. These two joeys, now both orphaned, are in care and should survive if they survive the trauma of the initial events. What's the difference between these two joeys? Joey number one, it was an accident. Joey number two, it was cruel, illegal shooting done for fun. What we have here is kindness versus heartlessness. Unfortunately, the story of Joey number two is too common. It doesn't matter what reason, if kangaroos are shot illegally or by the commercial industry, or even as a part of an animal control program, there should always be care and consideration to ensure that joeys are not left behind. That's joeys in the pouch and joeys at foot. If you are concerned about illegal shooting, contact the local police immediately. There's not much they can do after the event, but if you hear shooting that sounds suspicious, report it immediately. And of course, if you are in an accident with wildlife, please stop and check. So many of our animals are marsupials that have pouch young. This is kangaroos, wallabies, echidnas, wombats, possums. They all may be carrying young. Now, when you're traveling in Australia, it doesn't matter whether it's in your home state or visiting friends and relatives like this weekend, a long weekend for a bit of a holiday, you should always try and keep in your phone the number of the state's wildlife rescue service. Now, each state does have their own service, which uh, you dial in and they will send out a text message to uh, rescuers carers in the area and you'll get immediate help and assistance. In Victoria, that uh, responsible organisation is Wildlife Victoria. Their contact number is 84007300. 84007300. Put that in your phone now because if you rely on getting internet connection to Google Wildlife Victoria, you may find you're in a dead spot with no internet service, which is common in parts of this state and all of Australia. Have it in your phone ready to go. If there's an accident, call in, get help. If you're unsure how to check a pouch, we fully understand that it may not be something that everybody wants to do. You can always ring, get advice, and a rescuer will be there to help you. Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue. Check them out on Facebook and support them if you can. last episode of the Aussie Animal Show, I issued a challenge to Central Highlands Water as the owners of the land of the Gordon Plantation to apply for a relocation permit to save the four Gordon koalas. Uh, 
Just to remind you of what I said, here's an edit from the last program. Some news on the Gordon Koalas. There is hope yet. Correspondence uh, recently received from the Conservation Regulator's Office has informed us that in reality, no application was ever received to relocate the Gordon Koalas. So, it's not been around the bush. The landowners of Central Highlands Water. To save those koalas, all Central Highlands Water need to do is put in an application to have the koalas relocated. Now, there is a team of rescue experts ready to volunteer and go in and do it at no cost to Central Highlands Water or Dell, the Conservation Department. All they want to do is save those four koalas. So it's in your court, uh, their Central Highlands Water. Get that application in and have this problem just go away. Let's go to Jessica Robinson from Ballarat Koala Rescue and Advocacy. Did Central Highlands Water accept my challenge and put in a request to relocate the Gordon Koalas? No, I don't believe they did. Mm. I don't believe they did wrong. In email correspondence we've shared, it seems as though that's been left to the plantation owner's midway to do. Yeah, which would be, um, that would be logical, given they're the ones clearing the plantation. I noticed the courier covered the story quite well. And uh, in conversation with the journalist there, she did mention that Midway had commented to her that they want to employ a professional consultancy to do the application. And it could take several months. Yes. Like, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here, uh, Rob, just so people... Who, who haven't heard, understand how this has all come about. Yep. So as a media person, I really commend you, Rob, for trying to get the facts from the conservation regulator about the process for relocating those koalas. Rob actually contacted the conservation regulator and asked about the application and got no answer, like so many of us haven't from, from them when we've asked questions. So he went to the minister's office and the minister came back and told Rob that, uh, application had never been submitted. So I'm going to backtrack even further to when we were told on the 1st of June through after our public consultation with Central Highlands, and these are their words, they told us that the conservation regulator did not support the recommendation to relocate the koalas. Okay, so the Minister's Office told Rob that no application had been put in, but the landowner or the leaseholder could apply for this permit. So this was, this was news to us, obviously, big news to us. <laughs> so we felt, we felt we'd been misled, obviously. So I, I, that night I penned an email to Central Highlands Water and I asked them to apply for a permit. I said, you know, you've always said that you want to support the koalas in this situation. I guess put your money where your mouth is. I mean, I didn't use that, those words, but, like, can you please put an application in? And I copied in all the people that were in our consultation as well, just so they knew. Um, of course, I didn't hear back. I didn't hear back from Central Highlands Water, obviously, after that. But I did see in the paper that the media, the courier, had reported that Midway were now putting an application in to relocate the koalas. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting turn of events. It just goes to show how complicated this issue is we're talking about four koalas in a relatively small plantation 
the problem could be solved in a good afternoon's work by a bunch of very keen volunteers. I'm lost for words. Let's just say lack of transparency that we keep running into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they'll just, they could just tell anybody whatever they want. It's very crafty, really. This was never done. We were told it was done. So we just, we believe them and we believe that the conservation regulator didn't support it. And we wondered about why, you know, we, we, we did. We had those conversations like why could they not support this? It doesn't make any sense not to support it. There are theories around that. Midway, a major harvesting company in the southwest, they had to remove all the koalas from their plantations and relocate them for, before felling all their plantations. They'd never get any work done given the huge number, huge populations of koalas in those plantations. And as Delp say, the koala management strategy, there is nowhere to release these koalas down there. So there's nowhere for them to go. So that they didn't want to set a precedent by allowing the Gordon koalas to be relocated, even though they will be left uh, sitting next to a, a major freeway and there's only four of them. So, yeah, they didn't want to set a precedent, which is, which is fine, but they didn't even submit an application. So they didn't even follow protocol. Do we have any idea of how many hectares of blue gum plantations in Victoria, in that green belt down the southwest, have we any idea how many koalas are actually involved? Uh, there is a researcher that believes that there is up to six koalas per hectare of blue gum in the highly populated koala areas in the in the green triangle. That's a lot of koalas. So we've got a hundred if we've got a hundred thousand hectares of land, that's around three hundred thousand koalas. And it's probably more than that in reality. So as listeners to this program know, I was away the day at school, they did math, but we're roughly talking somewhere between three quarters or three fifths of Victoria's koalas will be in those blue gum plantations. Yeah. And look, anyone that deals with koalas in inland, we knew that. We knew if they were documenting those kind of numbers, uh, the data was really wrong or they were Basically, all those koalas were centred in the southwest or on um, islands off, off, you know, Victoria, because they're certainly not. I mean, they're they're, almost, they're really endangered in inland. I mean, we rarely see koalas anymore, and you don't even have to be a wildlife rescue or carer to know that. So at the moment, it seems like Midway's quite happy just to push aside the Gordon plantation. Don't bother about harvesting it, in the hope that will all shut up and go away. Yeah, look, they say that it could take months to get this permit, which is, look, I'm not, I'm not actually expecting a positive result, to be totally honest with you, but we'll see. We'll just see. We'll see because this will go to the minister. She, will, she knows about this. So now that she knows an application has been made, because she will know because I'm meeting with her office next week, you know, knowing that and not doing anything about it, I don't know how good that's going to look for her. But, yeah, I mean, look, we hope for a good answer. We really do. We've worked really, really hard to get this far uh, to try and help these poor koalas. So it would be devastating if after all, all that nothing helped. It has been a certain change for you. I mean, you're a long-time rescuer. You're a, a koala rescuer. You operate Ballarat, uh, a Facebook page called Ballarat Koala Rescue and Advocacy 
But I've got a funny feeling you never intended to be a campaigner at this level where you're going to meet the minister to put forward a case on individual animals. Well, I'm actually meeting uh, with the minister's advisors, not with a minister, but um, it's an opportunity for me to talk about it, talk, talk about the Gordon situation. And that's thanks to Andy Medic, um, his office. No, I, I didn't expect it, but, you know, it is what it is. This is what happens. And, you know, I think I'm an activist at heart. I think anyone who's a rescuer or carer, you know, we all care a lot. It's hard not to be an activist, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to ignore what's going on when we see so much uh, suffering and so much wrongdoing. But this one seems so simple and straightforward, Jess. I mean, when I first heard about it, I thought, what's the problem here? Four koalas, whip in there, get them out, take out your trees, you know? Yeah, well, as as I think I said before, this says more about the plantation industry as a whole and how dealt work with plantation industries as a whole. So our our little problem in Gordon has sort of opened up our eyes to a much bigger issue in the southwest and uh yeah so it it doesn't make sense no it doesn't it's not logical why they made that decision um but they made that decision because they don't because they're not and and perhaps in the koala management plan which no one can ever get access to because it's not transparent perhaps it's written somewhere in there that they are not to relocate koalas I mean, that's a contract between Delp and plantation companies, so perhaps that's what it is. But, you know, the lack of transparency, it's really, it's really highlighted the lack of transparency, hasn't it? Oh, look, it's, it's heartbreaking. There's so many people around this planet that simply adore koalas. I grew up being able to go out into a forest and look up and having a good chance of seeing a koala. Uh, listeners to this program have heard me repeat these stories so many times now, they must think this guy's now senile. But in my lifetime, I never thought it would get to this situation where the government authority that should be taking care of our animals is possibly going to kill 200,000 koalas and not blink an eyelid. Yeah. Yeah, it's too. I think it's too hard basket for them, to be honest. I think they find... The whole situation, I don't think they know how to do, how to solve it. And that's because they didn't act immediately. I mean, they didn't consider putting fencing around or making sure that plantation companies fenced around their plantations. The koalas have basically bred in those plantations. So they're, they're endangered in three states in Australia now, except for Victoria. But the ones that we have left are all, you know, facing imminent death really i mean let's face it when plantations come down and there's no habitat for them to go to they either get hit by cars die from starvation or stress-related illnesses and they are prone to uh to stress-related illnesses that's for sure yeah so i mean look the stress of just going through a plantation clearing is bad enough just jumping back you mentioned fencing now This is a perfectly acceptable practice in Australian farming or production of any primary resource. You set up a farm or a property, you fence it to keep in what you need or keep out what you don't need. It seems like a simple, logical suggestion put forward that plantations are fenced with. Now, it's very difficult to come up with a koala-proof fence, but you can certainly put in fences that would deter koalas from entering those plantations. Yeah, and I think this is this probably comes down to cost. Like the plantation companies would not be that wouldn't be probably feasible for them from a cost perspective. And see, I don't think that the government wants to upset the apple cart. 
uh, you know, industry first, wildlife second. Oh, I think it's our wildlife. job to upset their apple cart, Jess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> even leaving plantations, even leaving some plantations, like government buying off. I mean, they are on they are on people's lands. They are on private ownership land. So this is where it gets tricky in terms of leaving trees for koalas because, you know, the landowners that lease the land, they want them cleared because they want to use the land for something else. It's their land. So there's lots of complications that come into it. Yeah, farming practices have changed. I was out doing a couple of rescues over the weekend and basically it was former sheep properties. And what I did notice was every fence line, every creek line and every gully was left with native trees and it provides a natural corridor for the moving of wildlife from one area to another it's just a shame that this style of farming never continued into the 21st century yeah let's jump to the other koala issue now our listeners would not have heard about your visit down uh, the second visit down to the koala burn in mount richmond I have spoke to you. You did attend Andy Medic and also Lisa Palmer from Wildlife Fic attended a <coughs> meeting with uh, forest fire management people down there in the National Park. Can you tell us a little about what happened? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that was organised by DELP. Well, actually, it was probably Andy that instigated it through Lily to speak to the fire management officers. And, look, they were really young officers, young, young people. You know, probably not a lot of experience. There was a manager there that was there was um, the manager and the two officers. Look, we I had already seen the site, so I already knew how bad it was. They let me take a camera on site, which was really great. So I actually got to take photos uh, this time because I wasn't you know actively looking for koalas. But yeah, it was shocking. It's it's in incredibly burnt space. I can't imagine how anything could have survived in that badly burnt area where the koalas were found. We didn't really get any closer to understanding why it happened, other than the fact that they explained to us that the coastal waddle is a real problem. And they were so passionate. They're so passionate about killing these weeds that one of them was close to tears when she was talking about it. So, you know, weeds, very important to them getting rid of them. So the coastal waddle gets so big that they find that, you know, the small burns just don't get rid of it. So this hot burn was intended. That was quite clear. They took us through to the area, which is the internal part of the park where the koalas were found. And I saw the sites where the koalas were burnt to death and I saw the amount of scat, which was just unbelievable amount of scat under these completely burnt trees, blackened, nothing left, no canopies left, no, no, no leaves, nothing. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. That they they I asked them, so how could you have not seen these koalas? Because these trees are really small. They're not like managums that we know inland. They are small dwarf-like managums, no, no higher than one-story building. There's no way you couldn't have seen the koalas, but they tried to tell us that, you know, the wattle was so thick we just couldn't get in there to have a look but the koala sites were that where the koalas were found were like meters from the road meters so none of that made sense to us and it was probably those and, roads they used to light the fires yeah well that were their tracks their tracks for the cars and mm. they go right to the water because all the badly burnt koalas were around a sort of like a lagoon which was yeah perfect picturesque place for them to let to be 
And there was obviously a whole colony there because the amount of scat was just unbelievable. Yes, and we asked them, so why didn't you come into the interiors? And they said, we just do, we just did it. We monitored on the outskirts of the park only, and they used a count system to predict how many koalas would be in the inner part of the park. It was mind-blowing to hear that they actually didn't even go in in, in, in the internal part of the park to check the managums. Why wouldn't they do spot birds around the managums? I mean, we, don't, we want to protect the managums too. These are that's, koala food trees. That's exactly what I was going to say. That, that, that tree that the koalas were laying at the foot of was actually a completely burnt out managum, the tree that they're trying to protect from the coastal waddle. So the whole thing is, look, do, they check the perimeters. Do they use drones? No, they don't. Uh, they don't. They don't use any sort of modern techniques. And, in fact, they didn't even, apparently didn't even know how to spot for koalas, even though they do these burns all the time and have been doing them for a long time. I did notice on um, one of the local shelters' uh, Facebook page, they mentioned that they were training these DELP officers now to look and spot for koalas before they do burns so that it doesn't happen again. And I, and I actually made the comment of why isn't this training, like why hasn't this training ever been done before? Like we, the only reason we know about this is because a whistleblower alerted us to the burnt koalas. So this has probably been happening for a long time and, and no one's told about it. No one even knows about it because you can't get access to those burnt areas for some time. It's just... It's, Nothing about it sits well with me at all. It seems like it was an area that could have been done well. There are ways of controlling weeds. A fire is just one of them. They chose that method, but they didn't do their homework, obvious. Look, I mean, it's very simple. Hello, it's the 21st century. There are relatively cheap drones with infrared cameras that would detect any living creature in a tree. They could sit back in the comfort of their four-wheel drive ute and detect koalas, you know, half a kilometre away. Well, Lisa Palmer asked that question as well, and she said, you don't use drones? And they said, no. And she said, well, we have drones and we're willing to lend them to you before you do these burns. So the offer was put out to them to use these drones. So let's see if they take up the offer. Oh, dear. I'm just shaking my head, Jess. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I can't see you wrong. But, yeah, Yeah. like it's it's unbelievable. And um, I, I actually noticed there's Bluegum Plantation that saddles this national park. And I actually said to the officers, so you want to protect the managums. We've already discussed it. They burnt the managums, so that didn't really make sense. But you want to protect the managums and you want to protect the koalas in here. So what's going to happen when that blue gum plantation comes down next door? Because all those koalas are going to move on in here and and they're going to overbrowse those managums. And so I said, what are you going to do when, 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 you, when the plantation comes down. And they looked baffled. They said, oh, yeah, that's another problem. We don't know, right? And I just couldn't believe it. Like, this is these are the answers I'm getting back. <sighs> and I said, well, did, and I think Andy or someone said, to Delp let you know when plantations are coming down? So, sorry, Jess, it's just not that they're transparent with us. They're not transparent within their own departments. No, no, they all work in silos, apparently. In fact, the officers, just when we had a private moment, actually said to me, we didn't even know that we could access rescuers or carers. We didn't know that we could, 
if you know we could we, could, we don't know we had access to those kind of resources to wildlife Vic, to anyone they didn't even know they knew nothing and i said what do you mean you don't know like you're delp <laughs> delp 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 carers are registered under delp and i said well we don't talk to anyone from that department that's what they told me do you think anything good's going to come out of this who knows does it ever i don't know like i'm very cynical but Andy has reported after that meeting, he has reported back to Lily. So, you know, Andy, Andy's not going to lie about what went down when we went, what we were told, what he observed. He's going to do his best to make sure that Lily understands. So let's just see what happens. Anthony from Friends of the Earth, after seeing the site, suggested that the fire was lit by a bunch of drunk cowboys. It sounds more like well-meaning but inexperienced people with those fires. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And, like, you know, we've already seen that one hand doesn't talk to the other. So, you know, are they responsible? Are the fireys? I mean, yes, they should, they should be trained in how to support the wildlife and how to burn without hurting wildlife. But I don't think that's been happening. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, Rob? It actually makes you wonder because these burns are done all the time, all the time. All we can do is offer to get involved, add some expertise, have systems in place for two reasons. One, to assist wildlife, and two, to let the department know that there are people watching what they're doing. Yeah, and I should add, so we were called because of the whistleblower. They contacted us, and we were there within days of it happening. Delp didn't even know about it. So they didn't even, they, they talk about, you know, I think in their media release, they talked about, you know, we monitor the site after, during, before, during and after. Yes. There was no one from Delta there. There was no one from the fire officer there when I was there three days later. In fact, they didn't even know about it and they admitted this until it was in the media. Okay. And that was, that was a week after it happened, a week after the fires were lit. It was basically the Anthony's uh, Friends of the Earth media release about the koalas being burnt by, in adult burn that started the... Uh, uh, the department running for cover. Yes. I don't know. I, I don't know. Look, um, I started this program trying to help wildlife and help the carers and the shelter operators and all the volunteers that are involved in wildlife issues. But it's turning into a really bad version of a current affairs where we're just exposing debacle after debacle. Obviously, it needs to be exposed. Some of these things need to be exposed. You know, how do people know otherwise? Thank you very much, Jess. Oh, we were both a little unwell tonight. You did an absolute wonderful job. Thank you so much. Uh, two things before we go tonight. One, this is a relatively short program because the second interview that was planned to air tonight has had to be put on hold due to police and conservation investigations into the issue. So the moment the investigations are complete, uh, we will bring this program to air. It is regarding illegal shooting of kangaroos. The second point was in the opening update, I forgot to mention that if anyone wants to know how to check a kangaroo pouch for a joey, go to AAA Radio, the Aussie Animal Show, on demand section, scroll down to the program that features Central Goldfields Wildlife Rescue, and India will tell you how to go through the procedure to check for a joey and how to safely remove a joey from a kangaroo pouch. 
Till next time, be safe. This is The Wildlife.